secondary math at Lansing Christian School. I only teach, right now, I'm only teaching two blocks. Um, I've taught everything from seventh grade to AP Calc, but um, this particular year I'm teaching a senior level stats and probability class and Algebra 2B. So we offer Algebra 2 over two years and I'm teaching the, the B part. Um, most recently I've been teaching Algebra 2. Um, but like I said, I have I taught middle school for several years and long, long before I went to grad school I, I taught the higher level math at the high school. Um, so that's sort of my first job. Um, but the rest of the day, I serve as the director of learning, and that means lots and lots of things. Um, so curriculum assessment, academic advising, um, all the professional development and that sort of thing. Um, I also work with CASE as a TFT school designer. So TFT is Teaching for Transformation. Um, we'll talk about, about that a little bit more. It's a particular deeper learning model. Um, but nothing that we're talking about today is specific to TFT. Um, it, can, it, it lives outside of... Um, any particular program or, or framework, um, so this can be used in any class. I have five kids, uh, ages 5 to 14, I have to really think about this now, so kindergarten to freshman in high school. Um, so between full-time job and five kids, I really don't have any hobbies, but I do like <laughs> being outside, um, so I, I put a picture of myself kayaking in there, I do really love kayaking. Um, most of my life is this weird intersection of work and family, so um, I feel like that picture on the right really captures my life. That's my youngest um, daughter sitting on my lap in my office. So at the end of every school day last year, because they didn't have any aftercare, they would just crowd into my tiny office, um, and, and that was our life. So, um, so that's just a little bit about me. I recognize a lot of faces in this room through um, my TFT work. Either I saw you in the master class this summer or um, have worked in your school, so that's, that's awesome. Welcome and many new faces I don't know, so it's nice to meet you. Um, so in this session, we're going to start out by just thinking about the role of math in God's story, starting with that quote that you just, um, that you just read and experienced. And think, like, it's, it's fun for me to think about God creating mathematics and being excited for us to engage in that. Um, I'm going to ask an essential question about math, and then a, a majority of the time, I would say, is going to be me just sharing lots of examples of places where I've tried to incorporate deeper learning principles into math classes, um, specifically through some projects that are intended to meet a real need um, in our school community or the broader community. And then if there's time, I'm going to have you guys group up into your um, grade level teams or subject area teams and, and brainstorm projects or share what, what things that you've already done or things that have been kind of floating around in your brain. Our learning targets are, I can consider how mathematics fits in God's story and restorative work. And I can begin to plan lessons that help students see how mathematics fits in God's story and give them opportunities to practice living into that story through their math work. All right, so what is um, deeper learning? So I, I pulled this from basically some white, page, uh, white pages um, that several leaders in Christian education wrote a few years ago. So it's defined as, so we have a shared understanding, Christian deeper learning refers to people of God's story engaged in real work that forms self and shapes the world. Um, and I can share, if you're interested, I'll share the slides with anyone who leaves me their email address or wants to email me afterward. Um, and all the links of things that I reference are in there. So you can link to all of these different um, documents or sites. So Christian, um, people of God's story um, and so people created to be creative, to um, think innovatively, to worship, um, to make beautiful work, engaged in real work, and we'll talk, about, we'll talk more about what that means, that forms self, so it changes them, and it shapes the world. So 
one of the purposes of this session, the reason I wanted to share um, today, was a little bit to counter this notion that uh, math somehow exists outside of deeper learning or outside of um, you know, project-based learning and things like that. Just I often will hear, I, often, um, people say, well, math is different. Um, and I agree to an extent. I would agree that it's challenging um, to, to deeply embed faith formation in the math classroom for a variety of reasons. Um, but I, I, I'm going to push back on that notion that it truly is different. Um, when, we, when we became a TFT school, I remember our board was learning about TFT, and I'm friends with one of the board members, and he asked me later, but how is that going to work in math? Math is different. Um, and that was a little bit unsettling for me, partly because I wanted an answer, a good answer to that question, um, and partly because something in me said, like, no, it's, it's really not. It's, it's challenging, but it's, it's really not different. Um, so some things that I think make it challenging are the abstract nature of our content, especially as we get up into the higher level math. Um, we often learn it and teach it in a way that's sort of separated from um, applications that are that students can really get their hands on um, and make and make reasonable for our students. Um, and then the long-standing beliefs about mathematics and what it means to teach and learn math. Um, I, uh, several years ago when I went back to the classroom um, and I was trying to do more student-centered learning in my math classroom, I, I had a lot of um, pushback from parents and, I, and it, I realized at some point that what they were pushing back on was this notion, a, a deeply held belief that teaching math looks a certain way and learning math looks a certain way. That teaching math looks like being really um, clear at explaining concepts and learning looks like um, you tell me and I learn, I memorize it or I write it down and, I, and then I practice it. Um, and so when we incorporate deeper learning and concepts into math classrooms, it tends to look different um, and that sort of challenges people's notions about, about what math is. To highlight that, I pulled out a quote um, from a book I had to read in, in grad school a few years ago. Um, this came from the book California Dreaming, Reforming Mathematics Education. Has anybody read this book? It's about the math wars in California, so this would have been like more 90s era, early 2000s. Um, but this is this seg this excerpt just really stuck with me. Um, so as she's speaking back to like why were parents so upset about the changes and the reforms in math classrooms? She writes, "But why would so many people become so ardent about mathematics? Well, for one, a common experience in mathematics class might be one of the only things that all Americans share." For there is a national script for teaching and learning math. Class begins with a homework review, followed by a teacher demonstration of the algorithm of the day. Ample time is usually left for practicing problems, and an audible collective sigh of relief is heard whenever word problems are not assigned. <laughs> Although not everyone recalls these experiences fondly, they are part of a national school heritage, and undermining that heritage involves raising questions of who we are as a people. Fairly strong words at the end there, but I do think it speaks to this idea of um, maybe not us as teachers of mathematics, but our, our parents and our students tend to have these um, strongly held beliefs about what math um, should look like in the classroom. So yes, it's challenging. However, again, I'm arguing that um, math is no less part of God's truth. It's no less part of his creation than studying science or um, social studies or Spanish or um, any of the other things we ask our students to study. Um, and that I'm just coming at this with the belief that we can incorporate faith formation richly in our curriculum um, and, and let that go beyond sort of a surface level connection um, to the mathematics, but, but teaching mathematics from a place of this is useful, this is relevant, we can actually um, use this as today as part of kingdom work. 
Okay, so our central question is a question that I ask my students to engage in every year, like day one, maybe day two, um, and then we revisit it a couple times throughout the year, and I, and I just kind of watch for how their responses change. Um, but it's a question I ask myself, too, and over the last several years in this, this journey um, that I, of trying to incorporate deeper learning, um, is that I come back to again and again, and that is, why, as Christians, is it important to learn math? Um, at this point, I'm going to ask you to get out a scrap piece of scrap paper, a piece of paper if you don't have one out already, and a pen. So think about this question. And I want you to write down, just brainstorm words that come to mind. As you think about this question, as you think of how would you respond to this, if a student asked you this, or a colleague asks you this, or a board member asks you this, um, what would you say? What are some words that come to mind? Just, just listing words. I'll give you one minute to brainstorm words that come to mind, and then um, I'll tell you what to do next. Of the words on your page, and feel free to keep adding, that's totally fine, but of the words on your page, circle like the most important to you. Like which one do you think is, is absolutely key to answering this question? And circle it back up just in case. I'm going to encourage you to be in groups of like four to six. Uh, any more than six, and this will just get very challenging. Um, the more people you have, the more challenging it will be. So I see one sort of mega group here. I'm not going to tell you you have to move, but maybe join a group that has fewer people. Um, here as well a little bit. And if you are in, sitting with people and you have fewer than four people, definitely like to find with another group and, and merge. So I'll give you a couple seconds to move. All right. Um, so you have everybody should sort of have a word in mind and a backup word. Um, so I'm going to ask you to share out your word. If you have the same word as somebody else, maybe use your backup word. That's what that's for. Um, whoops. There's my clever little. Uh, Thought bubble here. I, I really push the boundaries on my slide making skills for this presentation. 
I missed that opportunity though. All right, so share your word and then the challenges to take all of your words from your group, not all of them, but like everybody's top one. So you have like four to six words as a group and organize those words into one sentence that answers that question. Why as Christians is it important to learn math? Answer that question with one sentence that incorporates all of your keywords. Does that make sense? When you have it, you can write it on your sentence strip, and I have a, a basket of markers, so feel free to out, come around with it and grab your favorite color, and, and you can write that on your sentence strip. All right, good luck. Uh, explore.
trying to figure out the acronym? Yeah. I got nothing. Uh, what would you prefer? Okay. <laughs> you still want blue? Wisdom and grow in our abilities to 
reason, discover order, and make an impact. I don't think I can talk and rotate at the same time. Let me finish that. So I started thinking a lot about this question somewhere around 2014. Um, at that point, so I taught for four years from 2003 to 2007. Um, I left teaching thinking I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. That's when my first daughter was born. Um, but instead, I went back to grad school. And I was, went to MSU for six years. And the last year when I was writing my dissertation, I, I went back to teach at Lansing Christian. Um, and at that point, they had a, just adopted a new vision statement. Um, and the vision statement was equipping, it is, I should say, equipping young men and women to engage and transform the world for Jesus Christ. As far as I can tell from other schools' mission and vision statements, you probably have something that's quite similar. Um, but what really got me with this was this idea of equipping students to engage and transform the world for Jesus Christ. And I started finding myself asking the question over and over, what does it look like to teach math in a way that equips students to engage and transform the world for Jesus Christ? I did not have an answer to that question. I feel more prepared to, I have more of an answer to that question, but something tells me I'll be thinking about this for a long, long, long time, probably past my retirement. Um, but, it, but the more I think about it, uh, and the more I work, and the more I um, collaborate with awesome math teachers, um, the closer I feel like I get um, to an answer. But what I knew at the time was that it wasn't the way that I had been teaching math. It was not that going over the homework, um, lecturing on the new topic, giving students the homework, and repeat. Something was missing. I needed something a little bit different. And so that's really where my, my journey began. I had never even heard of deeper learning at that point. Um, but I started to try some things. Um, and then a few years later, our school um, decided to um, go with Teaching for Transformation as a faith formation framework. And that gave me some, some language and things to use. Um, but the journey extended long past that. Um, I listened to a podcast this summer, the Curious Christian Teacher podcast, and a, a teacher in Australia named Ruth Watson um, posed this question. What if the most important reason to study math is to worship God? What would that look like? What if our students are learning in order to worship God? What if they're worshiping God through their math work in our classroom? What would that look like? Um, and it was just yet another sort of stepping stone in this, this question of, of why, are we teach, why are we spending our whole careers um, teaching students to learn math um, as Christians? The podcast is linked um, here if you'd like that. Um, so I'm just going to share some examples of things that since 2014, um, not, this is not exhaustive, um, but sort of a, a sample from 6th grade to 12th grade of things, um, of projects that I've used um, to get students to be doing that real work. So I, I should have given this disclaimer. We are only scratching the surface today of really talking about deeper learning in the mathematics classroom. Deeper learning encompasses assessment strategies, pedagogy, um, uh, building a classroom culture, seeing the learner um, a certain way. So it, it's very, very broad. So I'm focusing on that concept of um, real work. What does that real work look like in our mathematics classroom? Um, and, I, and I also want to say, these are not necessarily exemplars, but they are examples. So none of these are, I would say, like perfect, like the, the gold standard. Um, but I, I hope it's helpful for you just um, to get a, a broad spectrum of things that I have tried in my classroom and some other teachers at LCS. Um, so 
this is also from that um, Christian Deeper Learning white pages. So I included the authors here. So Dan Behrens, uh, I don't know everybody's first name here, but Daryl DeBoer in, in Canada, Stephen Levy, um, they wrote this sort of description of Christian Deeper Learning. Um, so it comes from that same, that same document, the definition. But it says, to practice deeper learning in Christian schools is to recognize the reciprocal process of spiritual development and active engagement in the world. Deeper learning requires the kinds of work that both forms the character of the learner and shapes the world. This recognition gives direction for the type of beautiful work. Qualities of purpose, complexity, craftsmanship, and authenticity that teachers are to design and students are to create. Honestly, I read that and it stressed me out a little bit. Like, this is a very high calling. Um, and, and again, I'm still, I'm definitely still figuring it out. But um, this idea of, of a project or an activity that, that's going to shape the student in some way and be a service to, to their world, whether that's in the school or outside of the school, um, that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, so before I share some examples, the questions I ask myself um, when, I'm, when I'm planning a new project or I have a topic and I want to incorporate a project or an activity, but I'm not sure where to start, um, I, I ask questions like, how does this topic, so fractions or quadratic functions or finding volume, how does this topic help us to understand some aspect of our everyday lives? Where do I see this topic or see connections to, to my life outside of school? Number two, how is this topic used to, in design or technology? Things that affect our daily lives and our work. Sometimes I don't even understand how it's used, but I, I just know that it is. There's a lot of math involved in using my cell phone, right, or whatever it is. Um, so how, where, what's that connection? Number three, how can this topic be used to create something beautiful? And number four, how can studying this topic help me understand who God is and worship him through my habits of learning. I heard some echoes of that in your sentences that you shared. There's something about persistence, right, and being resilient. Uh, math is kind of uniquely situated to get students to think in a different way and to think hard in a way that um, honors God. Um, I'd also encourage you to tune your eye for situations in the world around you in which mathematics is necessary or useful. Almost all of my examples come from at look, just kind of looking out for things or hearing about a problem and being like, we could solve, answer that question in our math class. Um, and then also just what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? I am oddly passionate, passionate about invasive species um, and eradicating them at the, our local nature center because my husband is the director there. But that's the, my connection. But, um, at, you know, what are you passionate about? What are you interested in? Those are excellent connections to start. All right, so some examples. I'm starting with the younger kids mostly and, and moving up. Um, so this one comes from a si uh, sixth grade class. It's actually not my classroom, um, but it was my problem. So the problem was our school provides coffee for teachers, which is awesome, um, but they switched their coffee brand to save money from, I don't even know what we were switching from, but we were going to these Folgers pouches that you would like put in and just, and anyway, nobody likes the coffee. Um, and it was like becoming an actual problem. Um, and they did it to save money, and it got me thinking about, like, well, but it always comes in that one size. If you want half a pot, like, that's not going to work well. And, and I thought, you know what? The right people to ask are sixth graders who are learning about unit rates. Um, and so I challenged them. I told them the problem. Here's the problem. Your teachers are going to be grouchy because they don't like the coffee. Um, and, um, and I laid it out a little bit more clearly. In fact, I think I have... So like that, I gave them a slide. I gave them some information. I laid out the problem. I said, here's what you need to know. 
Um, and and then they had a couple of days to like. They looked at Sam's Club and they looked at Aldi's and they looked at Meyer and and they had some parameters. But they looked at what are some different coffee options and what's the cost per ounce of coffee. Um, and it was very open ended. They just some of them weren't exactly on the right track, but most of them kind of got to the point of knowing they had to think about the unit rate. And they also looked at the price of a uh, filter um, and and had to add that in since our current ones had the filter built in. And, um, and anyway, so they eventually presented to um, our development person um, what they had found out, and we ended up switching coffee brands that we use. And now we use, I think, Seattle's Best or something that they get at Aldi. Um, and everybody likes it, and I have not heard anybody complain since. So, other than when it sits all day on the, in the bun the burner. Uh, oh, so this was actually some, a student slide. Um, all these is the best of these three, or these options that he had studied because it is cheap, comes in a lot of ounces, and was liked by staff, and this is factoring in the cost of the filters. Um, anyway, so <laughs> these are little sixth graders. And this was several years ago, so this was sort of like a first attempt at this, at this idea for me that I facilitated in this class. Um, the second was designing a collaborative workspace. So at the time, so this is another one that was quite a few years ago now, but at the time I was going and visiting some other schools and I noticed that they all had like these nice little like collaborative workspaces or, or just like nice seating in their hallways or entryways and we did not have anything like that and it meant that our students were often sitting or laying on the floor, um, which was dusty and uncomfortable and just not great and I was like, we really need a space like that. Um, and so, again, this was not my class, but I went to the seventh grade class um, at the time, and there were some really high-performing students in that class. So I, I, the teacher gave me permission to sort of pull them out of math class um, and do like an enrichment project with them, where they um, drew, they drew the hallway to scale, and then um, drew out um, some spaces that we could develop in the hallway. So we were arguing we could take out some lockers that we're not using and build these spaces. Um, they, but it ended up being bigger than that because they surveyed the teachers and they surveyed the students um, and then they processed the results and they ended up presenting to our administration and I forgot to post pictures of them presenting but um, here is their presentation. Oh boy, I'm worried that I'll never be able to get back to my other presentation but that's okay. I can't, my screen is black. That's the only way we can make this work. So this is what they presented. They presented their results of their survey. They took pictures of students working on the floor. This was like very common um, at the time. And these students are now our juniors and seniors, which is very sweet um, to see them back when they were in middle school. Um, but, and so they made this argument that we need these spaces. Um, they, the teachers had you know, the issues that they saw with students working in the hallway. So they were thinking, I had them think through like, what are teachers gonna, what are, what are their arguments they're gonna make? And can we argue against that? Um, so none of this was terribly mathematical. Let me see if I can get to that point. I feel their pain. <laughs> Always sitting on the floor. Um, so they included some, they had found some images, so they kind of knew what they were proposing. Um, some kind of space like this. Grand Rapids Christian has beautiful spaces um, just like this. Um, and, and so then there are some samples. This is their actual mathematical work. So um, we, we drew one master copy of like, this is what the hallway looks like. We knew our parameters. We talked to the custodians to figure out what are the um, fire codes on how wide your hallway has to be, how much space can we actually work with. Um, and so each pair of students um, had a different design. Um, and so this is a sample of one of them. Um, our art teacher taught them about like perspective drawing. So they took their scale model and then drew um, a, a perspective drawing of it. Um, and it worked. I, I mean, I don't want to say it was only the, the seventh graders, but they were quite impressive. Um, and so we ended up having um, 
getting a budget for designing some hallway spaces and we have hallway spaces now and it's been a few years so I had to like review like what did we do again um, and it was really fun to go back and look at that um, so let me show you the final product here oh boy I lost my will this still work ah there we go sorry not super text heavy um, and I do have a link to that presentation again if you want the slides. But we have three different um, collaborative spaces now. And when I went to take pictures of it for you guys, I was very overjoyed to see they were all being used um, by people. So we had a, a small group of students working on their computers there, a couple of girls working on a project here. This is actually a, a teacher um, conferencing with a student in the hallway. So, so different types of spaces. We have student-produced artwork there. Um, so that was, again, just another project. That was all before we um, started with Teaching for Transformation, so my other examples are all a little bit more systematic in, in what, we were, what we were doing and trying. Um, this was just a smaller scale thing. This was for my Algebra 2 class with ni uh, 9th and 10th graders. I had them look for examples of parabola either in design or in creation, and they just had to make a little slide to present um, where they saw the application and, and what that meant, why it was important, how it helped us. Um, or why it was beautiful. And so they shared those. Um, this was from my eighth grade class. Um, is this Pythagorean spiral? Does anybody do the Pythagorean spiral? Or Wheel of Theodorus is another name for it in their class. Okay, so the topic, it was Pythagorean theorem. Um, and we just had this one little lesson in the book about creating the Pythagorean spiral or the Wheel of Theodorus. And um, you basically, let's see how well you can see this. Um, you basically start with a right triangle um, where the legs are each one inch, um, and then you draw the hypotenuse, of course that's square root of two, and then from there you draw a right angle with another one inch segment, and so then this, the hypotenuse is square root of three, and you keep going like that um, as far as you can. And so they would just draw the spiral and we would use that, we like measure the hypotenuses on a number line so we could see like what does square root of two look like, what does square root of three look like. Um, but they never were very good, and then they would recycle them. Um, so I was trying to find a project that was more real work to meet a real need for real people, um, which is the language we use with Teaching for Transformation. Um, but, I, but our grandparents' day was coming up, so I thought, well, it might be kind of cool to like turn the spiral into a picture for their grandparents or another adult that they love in their life um, and have to think, like, well, what do my grandparents love? Um, and, and use that to guide how they created their image, and then they could give that to them as a gift that sort of doubled as a way for them to talk to their grandparents about what they were learning. Because that was the goal. They'd visit our classrooms, they were supposed to talk to their grandparents about what they were learning, and because they were middle schoolers, they would just be like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I was trying to give them a, a way to talk about this and, and create something beautiful. Um, so I just, you know, it turned into a, a project that was a few days. Um, it wasn't really huge, but they ended up doing a really good job with it. And they, um, they grew a lot because when I first asked them, well, like, what do your grandparents like to do? What would they enjoy? What would bring them joy? They were like, I don't know. Um, but the more they thought about it, I'd be like, well, then call them, talk to them. Um, but the more they thought about it, they'd be like, well, I like to go golfing with my grandpa and I like reading with my grandma. Can I make two different ones? Um, and they were just, they were quite thoughtful about it. So that was a sample. Um, this picture is all of the pictures laid out on one of those tables, actually in the hallway, so that when they came through with their grandparents, they could um, give them that image. I have no idea how I'm doing on time. Oh, we're doing all right. 
Um, this is a little bit bigger project that I did with my eighth graders. The topic here was exponential functions. Um, like I said, I, I'm really interested in invasive species, and um, that is definitely connected to exponential growth. Um, when you look at like the, the graphs and the, the trends that um, invasive species follow. Um, so I, uh, we had, um, my husband actually came in because he's the, the director at a nature center. So he t uh, shared about invasive species. Um, they did some research into invasive species. What are they? Uh, why do they, why does their population grow so rapidly? So they learned kind of the reasons behind that, that high growth factor um, of invasive species. Um, and then I've done a couple of different things with that. I don't teach eighth grade anymore, but for a couple years, um, the first year I had them like write a letter to somebody. I said, you can write a letter to anybody who would care about a particular invasive species. They had to study one particular one. Um, and they wrote to all kinds of, one girl wrote to Amazon, which is really hard to get through to Amazon. Um, but she wrote to Amazon because they were selling the seeds that were an invasive species, a, a flower. Um, she actually heard back from them and they said, we will look into taking that off of our website. I don't know if they did, but. Um, uh, one girl wrote to Governor Whitmer. She was concerned about the, the Asian carp sort of knocking at the door of the Great Lakes. Uh, the next year, this was like just pre-COVID, I had them do um, an infographic um, about um, in, an invasive species of their choice. So they had to give some, they had to give certain statistics and they had to um, explain why, like where they saw exponential growth um, with that particular species. So that was an example from eighth grade. I think that could work with a, an Algebra two class or wherever you talk about uh, exponential functions. Um, this is an example from my, by my senior stats and probability class. Um, I started teaching it last year. We have AP stats, so this is a non-AP stats class. Um, I'm taking a, a more of a data science approach with this class. Um, so looking at sort of like, what do we do if we have a big set of data? Um, so I, we had five years of survey data from students about block scheduling. We used to have a quarterly block. Um, so we just, every quarter we'd spend two days, half our classes one day, half our classes for the, the next day. And then we do um, uh, projects or, or whatever the case may be. Um, we were kind of like dappling in block scheduling. And then COVID hit and we very rapidly went to a full block spend block schedule model last year, just uh, straight like 80, 80, 80. Um, and so that was a big switch for students. And um, so the first semester, I had them take this five years of survey data from our students about these little short blocks that we do um, and process and analyze and represent and present that data to the administration um, to guide our future decisions about block scheduling. Um, we still have a block, but we have a more sustainable block. Now we go AB, all AB, if you're curious. Um, but they had to take lots and lots and lots of data. I just gave it, I processed it, I, I made it anonymous, but I basically just gave them the spreadsheet of Google form data. Um, and they had to learn how to code data, they had to um, do the quantitative analysis and, and averages and things like that. They had to create um, data representations and then this picture is them presenting to um, our principal about that data. We're doing a similar project this year. I had them write their own survey though. Um, and they were very interested in other things like student wellness. How does it, um, how does black schedule influence your overall workload and your overall well-being? And so there's some really interesting questions. So we just gave that survey and they're gonna start digging into that data. Um, and this time we have a, a broader audience. We have a group of Christian school teachers who are considering black scheduling who are interested in what they find out. So thinking about how students experience black scheduling. So that was a very, very much real work. Um, it was real work that the principal and I had not had time to do for, for a few years. 
Um, another algebra two example, exponential functions. Um, I use the opportunity to think about um, interest rates. Um, and another, like again, kind of random thing that I'm interested in or I'm thoughtful about is is predatory lending. So we did a project on payday lending and looking looking at. Um, what, how interest rates um, look with a, a high risk loan versus a credit card versus a mortgage. Um, and they, they discovered that in Michigan, um, payday lending can have up to a 400% interest rate, which um, is quite striking. Um, so, so I've done it a couple different ways. Again, when COVID hit and we were in the middle of the project, we, we made that into an infographic. So they, they created these info, infographics to share with other students about pay, what payday lending is. Um, but the first year I had, I basically just said, what's the problem here? Like, where does, the, where does payday lending fit in God's story? How did God create it to be? Um, what went wrong? And, and then, like, how can you be part of a solution today? What's something that you can do um, to help if you think there's a problem? And, and they did all kinds of things. This particular student um, wrote a letter to her representative about a particular bill that was, that was going up about payday lending. Um, another student was a part-time student. She presented to her um, homeschool group because they were in a financial literacy unit. So a variety of things. I just I just let them choose. Um, and then the last one. Um, this was an Algebra 2 reflection. At the end of the year, I was trying to think of a way for them to reflect on what we had learned. Um, and I had them write a devotional um, that it somehow incorporated at least one topic that we'd learned about. So this was that same class that had done the, um, the payday loans. Um, so she wrote a little bit about that. But um, yeah, just a way for them to... Um, connect their faith in, in a little bit different way, but also uh, thinking about and, and studying the math that we learned over the course of the year as they got ready for their exam. So lots of examples. I <laughs> hope that wasn't too exhausting. Um, let's see how we're doing on time. So we've got a little more than five minutes. I would like to give you some time to talk to people who teach um, similar things, and you can, you honestly can spend that time um, however it makes the most sense to you. If you want to be talking about, like, hey, I tried this idea, or I've done this project, great, absolutely do that. And I have poster paper up here and the markers if you want to take a piece of paper and write those ideas down, that would be great. We could post them up here and um, people can take photos of those. If you just sort of want to reflect on the examples you heard um, and maybe post questions or anything like that, that would be great. We don't have a, a ton of time. So um, I will leave these questions up here. Oh, so this is the this is what I'd like you to do. If you could kind of organize by sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, algebra one, geometry. It looked like we had plenty of people to sort of form those groups. Um, and then I'll just leave these questions up there. So as you as as you think about sixth grade math, right, and the topics that are standard in a sixth grade course, like what are some ideas that come to mind of ways that that mathematics is useful or that um, that it can be used to create something beautiful and, and so on. All right. Um, how about we have? I'll just. To make it more efficient, how about we do sixth grade over here, seventh grade, eighth grade, so kind of like middle school up front. Um, and then we'll go like algebra one, geometry, algebra two, and then the higher level math in the back. And if you teach multiple grades and multiple subjects, just pick the one that you feel most connected to. Or, um, no rules here. So, so move to an area um, to talk to some other like-minded teachers. And really, you have the rest of the time to, to collaborate. And then I'll close this out in about six or seven minutes.